So I figured today we'd go through like the buyer experience, buyer's journey, whatever people do want to call it. So I know everyone has their own unique point of view on what is it, how should we use it? So I wanted to start at the beginning of it really and just say, you know, if someone were first entering marketing, what do they need to know about it? And then we can progress through from beginner to intermediate and then just take someone through what should they be thinking about as they approach the buyer's journey and questions they might be getting at their organization. The easiest way to think about the buyer's journey, in my view, is to think about how you go through a process of buying something. And just looking at that, I analyze how I do that all the time from when I initially become aware of a brand and how that happened and the time between that and when I actually buy it and the things that happen in between there, which sometimes is literally nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I think companies especially in B2B, tend to over-engineer the buyer's journey with content in a way that they think is like the perfect journey, not understanding that everyone's is different. And it's more so about guiding the overall process, I think, mm-hmm. through marketing and awareness and letting people understand those different pieces over time. I think because people want things like now, 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 they try and force people through a made-up funnel that doesn't exist. Yeah, no, and I think one piece of that that you mentioned is, you know, think about how you would go about purchasing something because people read best practices. This is how you need to format your buyer's journey according to XYZ organization, but Mm -hmm. take off your marketer hat for a little bit and then just say, what do I like when I'm going to evaluate B2B SaaS purchases or whatever it may be? Because more often Mm -hmm. than not, when you go from that point of view, it's very different from, okay, maybe this piece of content or this gated asset isn't really helpful or what I think it was. I actually need something educational here. Look back and say, when is the last time that I downloaded an ebook and actually thoughtfully read it and then decided that it was time to buy something? Zero times. When's the last time that anyone in our company clicked on a LinkedIn text ad? Zero times. When's the last time that I got a cold call and decided that I, and then went to the meeting and then bought something? zero times for me, a lot of people listening, literally zero times. And so if you just start to look, when's the last time that I went to a trade show, perused the show floor, found a brand that I had never heard of, got a call from their sales rep after their show and bought their product in a reasonable sales cycle, zero times. And so like, when you start to look at the marketing activities that are being done versus how not just you, but everyone in your company decides on how to make purchases and then figuring out where those gaps are. I think a lot of this tends to be just challenging the things that have been done before and mapping it back to how people buy things today. Yeah. I mean, I have gotten some pretty sick shirts at at trade shows that have definitely compelled me to to want to take a conversation. By the way, like this is something that I, I wanted to post on LinkedIn. It's completely like irrelevant to this conversation, but I continue to get like trashy direct mail from companies and I get the direct mail. I open it. I look at the items that are in there. I decide I don't want them and I throw them in the trash. Mm -hmm. And what I think that companies should need to do now is if that happens to someone that you send your direct mail to and they throw it in the trash, you should need to plant five trees to offset the carbon footprint of that irresponsible execution of literally just creating more garbage in the world. I think companies should think about doing that because I literally get no, I don't want your branded mug. I don't want your like cheap hat with your logo on it. I'm never going to wear that. 
And so I think people just need to be thoughtful about that. But we, we can get back onto the no, topic. I would, I would love to go to Goodwill in San Francisco <laughs> and just grab all the shirts and make their own section of like B2B SaaS clothing, leisure Crash. wear, whatever it may be. And I bet the majority of those stores would be filled up with it. <laughs> all um, right, back to your agenda. Yeah, right. So when we think about the buyer's journey, then how does demand generation play a role in connecting those two? So I, I look at this in two different ways. So one way when I was in-house, I think the gap for a lot of in-house um, demand marketers is that they don't understand their customer enough to understand what things they need to know in order to guide them through it and therefore just use like stereotypes or assumptions or things that they made up in a boardroom to decide what people need to know along the way. The real answer to figuring this out is understanding what are the things that my our customers currently believe about certain things and what are the things that our prospects or our people that use our competitor or people that use the status quo, what are the things that they believe, where are the gaps, and then how do I teach people those gaps are relevant of if they're in a specific cycle or process or stage, right? Yeah. Knowing that the ads that you deliver, the content that you publish, most people are not going to see them when you publish it. Most people are going to scroll right by your ads. Most people are never going to search for the blog that you post. Most people are never going to watch your video. And so you need to have a communication mechanism that's communicating those things all the time, which then creates the opportunity for someone to see it in the moment. So that's the way that I, I look at it. The other way, which is now like what we do for marketing, and I think that a lot of companies are moving in this direction, is that if you're able to have a strong strategic narrative that is communicated in a way that people actually consume, which tends to be organic social platforms, live events, things where people go for information. And if you're able to communicate that narrative in a way that's not salesy, that people actually want to consume, you actually don't need a lot of stuff in the middle of the funnel because the story does it all. As long as you have a compelling, unique, differentiated product at the bottom. And so companies never do, not never, but companies do not do that effectively. Most companies do not, and therefore need to craft these like very complex buyer journeys when it's actually pretty simple. Like I know that your software costs $100,000, but it's pretty much like somebody goes in and says, I need to fill this security gap and I need something. And then I go and buy it. Yeah. I need to figure out a better way to do my budgeting. And then I realize that I need it. And then I go and buy it. And so there's not like this. <laughs> I just think that there, the marketing like theory about buyer's journeys is something that is not relevant anymore. Yeah, makes sense. So you mentioned getting thoughts on the content to be producing at the top of the funnel. Do you usually recommend should we do mass surveys through Google surveys or, or one of those forms or talking directly to customers and prospects to your sales reps? Where do you mm -hmm. think someone should get started on gathering some of that? Yeah, I think the first part is to define what top of funnel means because it's probably different between me and what people are thinking. This is not long tail SEO that has nothing to do with your product or things that have stuff to do with your product. I think the main thing that people miss today on this is the distribution of that. SEO is a distribution channel. It requires people to go in and actually want to find it versus going out and communicating it where people already are, where people that aren't looking will see it. And so the distribution layer is really interesting. And then in order for people to want to consume it, it needs to actually be something that they want to consume versus when there's intent in search to find it. And so there's different gaps between social and search that I think marketers don't respect enough. 
And so how do people like find those things? I've used surveys more so to create large data to show executives what's happening in the entire market. And I create those surveys based on things that I already knew based on qualitative market research, aka going out and talking to people. So whether it's customers, prospects, thought leaders, partners, or other people that are in the market, like I think as a marketer, you just need to have a deep pulse of what's happening in the market, which then is the secret weapon to strategy. And so that's what I've been doing my entire career. And it's something that this, uh, I was taught by, by someone named Annie Midland, which was amazing in 2013 when I was actually like, I didn't know before he came in and was a consultant for us for three months that I should go out and talk to customers and I should talk about things that have nothing to do with our product. And I should just want to learn and how to ask those questions and how to set up the interviews and how to make it valuable for somebody and how to glean the insights because what the customer or prospect tells you might not be exactly what you need. You need to interpret their answers and then formulate that back into what it means for you. And so all of those different skills, I'm very grateful that I, I learned and continue to use them every day. I think that would be more useful than half of the marketing classes that I took in college. So let me know when you uh, start that one up. <laughs> but no, I think that is a valuable skill. And I've seen witnessing myself. So I started as the equivalent of an SDR. We had a very hard line between marketing, cold calling, generating a lead, pass it off to sales. Mm-hmm. Then when I moved into marketing, it wasn't so much, hey, go out and, and find this information about your ICP. What do they what do they need? What are they hurting for? You know, that type of information. So I think not enough marketers feel empowered to be able to make those calls and totally have that conversation. There's nothing in a um, marketing KPI sheet that would ever incentivize somebody to do the things that I said. Mm-hmm. Never. And that's the issue with this process because the KPIs don't map to the activities needed in order to be successful. Yeah. And that's tough. So. Okay. Well, shifting on to the next part, and then we, we went through that for a little bit. What do you think are some of the most common mistakes that a lot of companies make when it comes to the buyer's journey? I think we've called out a couple of them already. And so the number one is using assumptions and stereotypes versus real data that you source from talking to people that are in the market. And so that's number one. Lack of customer understanding is the most easily solvable most helpful, highest ROI activity in B2B SaaS, for sure, especially for companies that don't sell to sales or marketing. So that's number one. And then the next one that we had already mentioned as well is not adding an additional layer of like common sense and empathy to how someone would actually consume this information, find it, whether or not they would like it, whether or not it would move the needle in their perspective or change their perception of you or your category or the problem that you're solving or different things like that. And instead, just focusing on, oh, I need to create this blog versus, oh, is this the right blog to create? Should it actually be a blog or should it be something else? Should we distribute it somewhere else? Did people actually consume it? Were those the right people? Did it change their perspective? And looking at it at that level, I think if marketers shifted less from content creation and more a lot more focused on content consumption and content impact, the impact of the consumption of the content, I think people would... One, I think it would change the things that they do too. I think it would make it a lot more effective over time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people trash on millennials because they want to link their passions to their career. But that's where I see a big advantage because 
we're so passionate about marketing, we know what's the type of content that we want to learn about. We create it for others because if those are things that we're interested in, I'm sure that that's going to carry over to many others. So I think that knowing what's helpful to you, what mm-hmm. do you enjoy creating? And then if you know your market, and if you're part of your own market, that's definitely a huge benefit. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I would say is being obsessed about the things that you can track and missing completely one, all the things that you can't track. The most important being how much word of mouth influences buying decisions, not word of mouth, like a referral. Hey, Sam, you should buy this thing. That's part of it. But there's also a lot of other things like, hey, Sam, did you see Gong was doing this incredible event with Magic Johnson? How cool are you going? I mean, Sam, I sent you the recording of that um, event so that you could check it out. All of the shareability of good information between people, people talking about certain brands in the market does not get respected enough in attribution models, does not get weighted enough in terms of the impact in revenue, and therefore doesn't incentivize marketers to do those things. And so in general, I think it's not understanding customers at a deep enough level. Basically, the let me even move this higher level. The incentive structure and metrics inside of companies don't incentivize companies to do these core fundamental things that are really important. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see a lot of companies I'm just trying to say, hey, there's this new MarTech piece that I need to buy and it's going to plug this gap for us. And they look to just... Mm build and use software to plug these gaps when it's it's really it's just the foundational stuff that you can mm-hmm. do yourself so and yeah, we'll that's... prove it like we're we'll current we'll prove it at at refine labs over time we use almost no technology whether it's for marketing ourselves or marketing for our customers for the past 12 months have not even asked for access to marketo or pardot or things like that because as long as the data is in the right place I only need Salesforce. I don't need to see anything of what's going on in there. Marketing automation platforms have become operational platforms, not and data platforms, not marketing platforms. I think more people will recognize that over time when they actually look at the impact of those things. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, so that, that brings to mind a conversation I was having last week where there's been a commonly held belief that people say, it's business. It's not personal, you know, but I think that that is, it's definitely changing. Business is becoming more personal and other relationships are still at the core of every major business decision and everything else. So I think people need to get back to that and realize again, you know, your marketing tech stack isn't going to fix this. You need to know how to have a conversation, how to get the information that you need from them. And then how to also turn that into content so that you can start to serve that to your different markets to get your products message across because they don't care about your features. They don't care about your open API, your integrations, all that crap that we like to package and put on ads. They want to know how are they going to use it and then put it into context where they can understand how does this product fit in with their industry or others that have used it successfully. Mm -hmm. It's basically just comes down to brand and communication and you need to have a good enough product. Ideally, you have the best product, but you can't change your product in a week. Mm-hmm. You can change your marketing execution in a week. And so when we look at companies, I find it's really hard to retrain your 200 person sales team or completely restructure your 200 person sales team. It's really hard to make your product go from average to the best in class over a short period of time. But you can change your the things that you're doing in marketing rather quickly. Yeah. So I find it's the it's one of the easiest most impactful things to look at at a company today 
in terms of understanding customers, messaging appropriately. And what it ultimately comes down to is, do I understand the people that I'm trying to reach? And do I communicate in a way that's effective for them? And when you simplify it, it's uh, it becomes a different game, I think, for people. Yeah, I think simplification is key there. So many people want to come in with your 30-slide deck saying, look at all these findings that I got. But at the end, it's 30 slides worth of data that someone comes away with. What was I supposed to know out of that? So how do you condense that down into one key takeaway that what's the major learning? How what's are we going to take this and implement it? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So what would you say is a commonly held belief about the buyer's journey that you strongly disagree with? Mm, that I think the the thing that I disagree with is how how much weight people put on it, how important people think it is. I actually don't think, especially based on what they take and then the the activities that it drives. I think that if you rethought about it, you would maybe do things in a very different way when you strip it away. I actually think it creates biases and some different behaviors because you make a lot of assumptions in order to assume that this person is in consideration. So they need to see all of this type of content, blah, 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 blah. Not realizing that like as a buyer of anything from a pair of shoes to a hundred thousand dollar SaaS tool, I'm moving from not aware to aware to not even top of mind for me right now to there's a big problem to, I don't want to solve this right now because I don't want to spend the money on it. Or I have 10 other things to do to back to consideration to back to, you know, do, 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 do. And I just think that people don't understand, uh, don't respect enough how people move through those processes backwards and forwards. There's so many things that we've been at the final stage of get of looking to buy and then said, we got 10 other things to do. Like, this is not that important. I just literally did it before we got on the Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that like trying to, and then what do you, like, what are the activities and the automation and things that, that you do when someone does that? Like people move backwards. I don't think people think a lot about what they do when people move backwards. And so I just have a, a lot more simple communication framework that creates overall awareness of the brand and the category and the narrative by communicating effectively all the time to people. And I think that another sort of like interesting thing to look at is that that like the content that I put out is just as relevant to the people that have never heard of me to our most evangelistic customers. And if you look at your buyer journey content, you probably wouldn't be able to say the same thing. And that's how that's how you look at. I know that content's good when both customers and people that have never heard of me both engage and like it. It's a really interesting framework because when I put out content, I think about everybody. I have a target, right? I have somebody that's the right person for the content, but it has nothing to do with their buyer stage because yeah. it, good content doesn't map to a buyer stage. Yeah, no, I really like that, and I think that. To summarize, it's almost, you know, the journey is not linear. And I think that's what a lot of us are taught in school or come up thinking for a while is, you know, mm-hmm. your, your very first touch with a, with a prospect, and then they're going to go along until they fill out a form, then they're going to turn into an MQL, an opportunity. But the reality of it is, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, hey, we've got 10 other things going on. So we're going to have to, you know, pull back on this for a little bit. And 
that doesn't fit in nicely with a linear customer journey because instead of going flat and all of a sudden it's up, down, left, right, back, forth, you know, there's mm-hmm. no easy way to, to do that. So when you go back to your C-suite task for funding and you have to say, here's why we need to fund this channel because it fits in perfectly with this stage in the customer journey. That's why they try to force, you know, the square into a circle hole. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, I think coming to terms with, with that is definitely something that a lot of marketers you almost have to realize it on your own just through experience and seeing how things come along. So mm-hmm. before I joined the team here, we used to use customer stories at our old company is the last stage before someone would sign a contract as a proof point. Whereas now we're realizing over here, you've been doing this for years, but it's, it's a great way to provide context around what does your product do? What is the value that comes from it? And really using that to emphasize, you know, the product helps accomplish this, but it's not just, increase your ROI, but here's how they did it. So there's so many different pieces that when you think about how does it fit into the journey and where else could it provide value if you just spin your head around it in a different way, I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people can gain some value from that and also be able to repurpose a lot of the content that they have that could fit somewhere else in in their marketing. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think people should think about sort of riffing off of the idea that I believe good content spans across the entire journey is the idea of not selling in your content. I see a lot of content put out, especially when they think about a buyer journey and consideration, which ends up being like a back end. I'm trying to convince you to buy something versus content that a lot of people would want to read. And buyers are smart. Buyer, like I can read almost any piece of content at this point and know what the intention is of people. And not that buyers think about it at that lens, but they can feel it. And so another thing to think about as well, like when I create content, I strip out everything about whether or not some I want someone to buy, aka ignoring the buyer journey and just creating content that people want. And that's a mindset that's very hard for marketers to get over. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's always a tough one because anytime I do come across what appears to be a good piece of content and I find a form in front of it, I'm like, man. I'm going to MQL. I'm going to set off this series of emails that I don't want. I'm going to get calls that I don't want. Is it worth it? Because it's been really interesting. Like I've been, I've been uh, using my uh, pseudonym, especially on the Gartner and (laughs) Salesforce forums, Joe Blow. So people, (laughs) people are getting a good, a good lead out of their ebook, seven step ebook form now. Yeah. Um, Well, there was, I felt kind of bad doing this, but it was a competitor a while ago. Um, I wanted to see what their, product-led free trial looked like. So I filled out the form and used their local Pizza Hut number to call into. Yeah. So I was really hoping that I'd get to find out how that conversation went at the end. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got to have a little bit of fun with it. So for a new marketer who's looking to help their company get on track with this, what would you say is a quick tip that they could start doing today to help better align the customer journey to their company goals? Mm. So step one, acknowledge how people buy things today and try through examples or communication or something to get people that make the decisions at your organization's executives to understand that as well. I think one of the big, the greatest like accomplished unlocks accomplishments for me was recognizing this in 2016 and then being able to communicate it to at the CMO executive level. Um, and have her be able to communicate that across the executive team that we were selling in a way that buyers didn't want to buy. And I think a lot of companies, if they thought deeply, would see that too. And it's not like 
it's just an opportunity to lean into that, right? Like you can do, you're gonna, you're probably doing fine if you're listening to this. You probably continue to do fine. It's just a missed opportunity to lean into it more before somebody else that has a alternative to what you do, whether or not it's a direct competitor, to do it before you do. And so I think that is one good step is trying to get executive alignment. The real option is try and find a company that already has executives that believe in those things and are doing these things already, which allows you to do great marketing and learn from smart people that are forward thinking. And then step two is to go and talk to to customers and you be the person in every, at every company I've taken this mindset. I'm going to understand customers better than anyone else in this company. And when I say customers, it's just the market. I'm going to know who they listen to. I'm going to know what conferences they go to. I'm going to know what sessions they go to in the conferences and what topics they are. And I'm going to know those topics better than anyone else in this company. And if they need to bring me into a meeting, I'm going to know it best than anyone. If I'm going to talk to that thought leader, I'm going to know that. Um, I'm going to know what they believe. I'm going to know what they don't believe. I'm going to know what parts of our messaging resonate. I'm going to know what parts of our product don't are not working for them. I'm going to know what they think about all of our competitors and why and how to segment them. And those that is the mindset that marketers need to take in order to be successful. Because when you do all of those things, the tactics are very easy. The tactics are well-published. We talk about it all the time. There's plenty of people that talk about it. It's the missing that component that drives the success of the tactics. Yeah, I like it. Not, I mean... Growing up playing sports, a lot of people always say, you know, you can have all the skills, all the talent that you want, but if you don't have the hard work or the hustle to put it in, then it's all for naught because that's what's going to lead to the success in the end. And the the interesting thing is like, there's not a ton of hustle that's required in order to do what I yeah. just said. Yeah, like I'm it's literally there. just committing to the, believing in the fact that that is an important thing for you to do and then committing to do it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle because as you mentioned earlier, they don't have marketing goals. They're not measured by that specifically. So it almost has to be a self-imposed item that you want to put on your mm-hmm. checklist for the year of how to grow your skill set, how to one-up your your marketing skills overall. Yep. So that's that's really, you know, it comes down to In 2016, it was on my goals. I needed to visit five customers a quarter in person at their hospital, right? And so thankful for the for the VP of marketing that had those goals for every person on the marketing team, not just me. Um, And so that's a recommendation for, you don't have to have, you know, we had travel budgets allocated. You don't need to do those things if you're a marketing leader, but incentivizing your team to talk to actual customers, the small amount of time required in order to do that effectively and the impact of those things and I just, I see that as a very easy thing to do. It's just not on someone's roadmap, therefore not important to them. That makes sense. So I know for me, I'm a very visual person. So whenever I start working with a new client, started a new company, take on a new program, one thing that I always like to do is pull all the content I have into a centralized library. And then start to think about, I know earlier we said don't map content to specific stages of the journey. So before that, it's just being able to understand what are all the assets that we have? Do we have a lot of blog posts, case studies, eBooks, video? And then start using that to think about, okay, how do I want to use these in different channels where I know you preach a lot about, you know, social is an awareness channel, search is an mm-hmm. intent channel. Start to think about how you can use those different pieces and then look at what's your current strategy and where are you hitting your goals or not hitting your goals. And you can have some easy things to be able to pull in and test versus having to create net new content from scratch. 
that is a great process as a short-term band-aid. The real answer for companies, and I know companies won't get there, is create so much content in volume that you don't need to think about your content library. Yeah. Like I never, I I don't, we produce so much. It's all available on the internet somewhere. If people wanted to find it, they would be able to find it because we search optimize on YouTube and we search optimize there. LinkedIn sucks at archiving content. So probably not there. Our podcast is well published. And so like the real answer is figuring out one, committing to the process and two, figuring out operationally how you can create a volume of content where you don't need to look back at your library and figure out how to repurpose the blog post that you had two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. (laughs) Not all of us have the, uh, the production that we have though, unfortunately. So we had to get scrappy with it. So Uh, one last question, this one's a little bit more advanced. So some of the B2B companies, they work on a land and expand model. So how does the customer journey or buyer's journey differ between attracting net new logos and then the buyer's journey for customer expansion or upsell opportunities? Again, if you take the mindset that I mentioned before, which is that I don't care as I produce content, I produce content that B2B SaaS marketers and marketing leaders and revenue leaders want. Therefore, it doesn't matter what buyer stage that they're in. Therefore, it's effective at creating affinity, education, consideration for an upsell, overall retention at the customer level or at the prospect level. And so that's what it's the mindset about what I'm creating the content for and how I'm doing it and how I'm distributing it that I think is important because I know that we get, we've gotten upsells because of our content. I know that our retention rate grow has been growing one, because we do a lot of great work too, because a lot of people believe in the content and the vision that we communicate and the things that we see in the future that other people don't. And so um, I think, you know, people miss that type of thing because of the reasons why they create the content, who's creating it and how it's delivered. And so I do believe, is it harder to measure? Yes, it's 100% harder to measure whether or not our podcast is improving our retention rate. Very hard to measure that, which I get probably a reason why marketers struggle with it. But it's not that important to think about, like look at it in the entire system. I know that the podcast is driving enough net new business and clarifying our narrative and growing in scale and building the brand and allowing us to work with people that are influential and get to build relationships with them and allow our people that work here to be featured on the podcast and share their thoughts and allow our customers to share their thoughts on the podcast. I don't care how much, if it's moving the retention rate from 95% to 97%, right? There's enough other benefits that people, I think people need to start looking at like all of those qualitative benefits that I just listed off as a reason why to do a podcast, not whether or not you can attribute it to a retention rate or a net new revenue number. But I can't put that on a pretty line graph or bar chart to present. It's just going to be a bunch of like circle blurbs. Look at all these great things that are helping the company. And I think that's where people get so caught up is everyone knows the qualitative benefits, but because it doesn't align to your funnel, your goals for the year, that's a specific mm-hmm. number. It's hard to say how effective it is to board members or investors or whoever that may be. Sure. If I made a chart right now that had podcast audience growth and net new revenue growth, they would be in the direct same line. Yeah. And so, so yeah, like maybe it's people, maybe there's a way based on correlation, not direct attribution for people to consider like, 
for some companies, and we're starting to get into the weeds now, but for some companies, we're able to correlate the amount of strong, like quality Facebook impressions to net new, like net new logos. And so there's some interesting data points right there for people to think about. Maybe you don't need it tagged in your CRM with direct attribution, especially for awareness channels. Maybe there's correlation on top of qualitative sentiment and data on top of all the other reasons that I mentioned that are good enough to start moving the needle. And like the people that are doing a podcast, the company feels the impact. Everyone at Refine Labs feels what's going on because a lot of people know about us. A lot of people talk about the content. A lot of people show up to our events. A lot of people say good things about us. We get new customers. And so if you're doing a podcast well, your company should feel it and therefore won't, they don't need this like tie to revenue. A couple other insights for people. Yeah, I love it. And I think that's all been, been super helpful. So I think to get to start, I mean, this is all information that I wish I had known when, when I first got started under my marketing journey. So hopefully this is going to be helpful to a number of others out there listening in. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, this, I think, well, I'm not sure on the, I think there's episode three of Back to Basics. Again, we've get getting a ton of emails that people love this content segment, kind of like taking a, a look at some of the, we talk about a lot of high detail, big acronyms, stuff like that, like trying to take a step back and cover some things for people. Um, and so if you like this again, keep, I encourage you to keep sharing at DGL at refinelabs.com, what you thought about the episode, whether or not we should keep doing them, what topics we should cover on this uh, content pillar moving forward. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, we'll see you again soon. Mm-hmm.